G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. Good everyone. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast, another of our off-season weekly episodes. And we've got an old favourite segment coming back this week. I won't uh, let the cat out of the bag just yet, but uh, really looking forward to its return. As I say, a very good morning to my co-host, Mark Fine. Well, Finey, we're all uh, out of lockdown. We're out in the open. Uh, how goes it? Well, it is good. I'm looking forward to further freedoms, and these have been achieved by the bulk of Victorians, in the case of uh, us, getting that double jab and taking us to the verge of 80%, which will really open things up because you know, I, feel, I feel for a lot of retail outlets. I, I go down the street and I think, gee, how are they going to survive? How have they survived this? So I'll tell you one thing, support your, your the, the people that do have businesses around you, shop local and, you know, don't if you need something, now's not the time to get on online on the internet and have it shipped from America, buy it down the street. Well, speaking of which, a very fine local business is a supporter of this podcast, uh, Finey. Uh, tell us all about them. Well, Andrews Hamburgers, 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. You'll know if you're local to Andrews. I reckon anywhere you live in Melbourne, you're local to the best burger in Melbourne. So make the trip. It's a great burger. And actually, it really does. If you want to celebrate things going back to normal, why not have a good Oh, no, a great Aussie burger. Now, that's normality. Well, it is if you're used to Andrews. 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. The boys are great supporters and they make great burgers. So we've got no qualms in, in pumping up their tyres, Rayco. And support your local podcast too. And uh, to that end, we've had some major technical issues the last couple of weeks with Apple Podcasts. They uh, managed to somehow archive our show and give us a new version of it and we uh i think uh for the last couple of weeks a lot of people who were subscribers via apple haven't been getting the show so catch up on it there are two episodes post grand final before this one better late than never quality podcasting let me tell you uh we have been communicating with apple for about two weeks apparently in swahili because not a lot of their uh, alleged solutions or directions made much sense. But I think we've finally resolved the issue. So uh, just hopefully you're listening to us now via Apple Podcasts and uh, just double check that you are still subscribed to us. And if you have been unsubscribed, subscribe again. And uh, boy, I never want to go through that process. Gee, it'd be nice if you actually got to talk to a human being when you had a technical issue uh, rather than communicate via email, uh, laboriously, tediously, and usually on their behalf, incorrectly. What a procedure it is, of course. Our producer, Damon Jackman, and I have both recovered from our nervous breakdowns, uh, which uh, were brought on by this horrible episode. And uh, 
Uh, fingers crossed it never happens again because I don't think either of us will survive it. So apologies if you've missed out the last couple of weeks, but hopefully everything back to business now. Plenty of uh, news still going on in the footy world. Let's have a chat about it. On Footyology, news feed. Well, we're still waiting for the AFL uh, draft, of course, but the next cab off the rank in terms of um, calendar landmarks uh, with AFL football is the release of the fixture. Um, should be happening in the next couple of weeks, I think. They're still working on it. But, Fidey, it appears like, and I, I reckon you could add short odds on this, that from now on we will be having a floating fixture. Of course, last week, last week, last year, they only uh, locked in the first six rounds and then did it block by block. I think the suggestion this year is they're going to be eight-week blocks. And uh, pandemic, of course, the big explanation for that and fair enough but I suspect this is the way it'll be now because it does give them a lot more flexibility with the fixture how do you feel about that have you got any great issues with that no I think it's good because in AFL there is certainly a premium placed by clubs on being say a Friday night game having the major exposure in the major uh, showpiece program of the weekend and to commit to that for a full season prior to the start of the year has always been fraught with danger, hasn't it? It seems, and I don't blame the AFL in the past, but you're always a year behind, you know. The team that was exciting last year, not necessarily those this year. So it, it gives flexibility in, a, in, in something that means and matters a lot to clubs. Reward the clubs that are in form. Yeah, look, I, I, I quite like the concept. The one thing it does stuff up, unfortunately, is my uh, time-honoured fixture analysis finding because uh, I've put a lot of stock in six-day breaks and uh, et cetera, et cetera, and uh, it stuffed me right up. So I wasn't able to do it last year, and I doubt I'll ever be able to do it again. So uh, a minor inconvenience. Uh, by the way, in terms of that fixture, it appears like uh, Brisbane Collingwood uh, will be locked in at the Gabba on uh, Good Friday Eve, if that actually is a thing. Um, actually, went up there for one of those games a couple of years ago. It was interesting. Uh, and uh, Melbourne Bulldogs looks like we're going to have the grand final replay as a, a thing again in round one and uh, talk that that will be on the Friday night after the opening Richmond-Carlton fixture. So uh, the floating fixture remains to be seen when it will be released, but coming up, you'd think, in the next couple of weeks. Uh, another big issue over the last week, finally, certainly since we last did our podcast, is uh, mandatory vaccination for AFL and AFL W footballers. Uh, I think most people applauding that move. A bit of, a bit of significant pushback, though. Uh, talk that some players are going to be resistant. Uh, Melbourne's Tom McDonald, although uh, himself being double vaxxed, he came out and was a little bit vocal about um, not being a fan of the idea and infringing people's civil liberties, etc. And plenty of spirited debate about uh, whether it's about people's freedoms or about giving us stuff about other people. I think we're both certainly in the latter camp on that question, finding. But uh, what about uh, individual players? A couple of AFLW players, uh, I think, might have some issues on this front, apparently. Well, just first on Tom McDonald, you know, I've sort of changed a little bit on it, Rowan, 
in that for me, it was very important, I think, that everybody was encouraged to get double dose to get us to 80%, because that is the threshold to return to normality. Now, I'm a firm believer that people should be double dosed because I haven't heard any reasonable argument from those that are against it as to why you would not want to be double dosed unless you have a, and this exists, remember David Zaharakis with the Essendon uh, supplement affair. Some people have a genuine phobia of needles and need to really um, get some sort of support to get the jab. Beyond that, you know, the logic just isn't there. So I, I, I do understand to a point civil liberties, but I also understand social responsibility. That's Tom McDonald. Now, St Kilda is in a difficult situation. Their star player, Georgia Patrikios, has taken time away from the club for personal leave. They have not gone into the reason why. There is a suggestion that it has to do with the vaccine, whether or not she has taken the um, necessary steps to be double-dosed or is double-dosed or, in fact, refuses to is now up for debate because St Kilda is the only club in the AFLW, certainly out of Victoria, that has not reported to the AFL and to the authorities with a list that has all players vaccinated. In other words, St Kilda will not confirm or deny whether their players are vaccinated. It's only a rumour, but is St Kilda's star midfielder not going to play this year because or the upcoming season, uh, because she's not vaccinated. It's been swept under the carpet a bit, Ro. Yeah, well, it's, uh, that would be a huge blow to them. She's a seriously good player, isn't she? I remember watching her last season thinking, you know, you talk about that new young brigade of, of AFLW stars sweeping into the game. She's certainly at the face of that terrific player. And, uh, yeah, that would Rowan, be... Rowan, I've got to tell you that her and Jack Steele are the two biggest locks for BNFs in the sport. You know, Jack Steele will win it every year for the men and she'll win it every year for the women. That's how good she is. Yeah, well, well yeah, no, good observation. It would be a significant loss to the uh, Saints AFLW outfit. That's for sure. Um, and look, you know, maybe we'll see some more men players who uh, are resistant as well. But uh, certainly... Not a lot of options there for those who are resistant. We'll, uh, we'll keep an eye on that one. Uh, we'll finish off the news segment, Finey, with uh, a bit of a double-edged sword here because I'm about to question whether this actually is news and we're just giving it more credence. But we talk a lot on this show about AFL media self-indulgence. Well, I think I might have gone to new levels in the Herald Sun yesterday, Finey, with the release of the AFL media's top 50 performers. Not players, not coaches, not rich list. It was about the AFL media. And they put a lot of work into it too with tables and graphics and artwork. And uh, the Herald Sun came up with their own top 50 list. And then they made what in hindsight might be seen as a bit of a blunder by allowing their readers to vote on their top 50 AFL media choices, and uh, this is what I did take out of it. Uh, it's fair to say there's a, a pretty significant difference between the opinions of both those groups. And uh, in answer to the inevitable question, was I miffed about not being part of the AFL top 50 media list? Well, uh, 
uh, well, maybe I'm just not a key player anymore, Finey, or maybe I have had so many pot shots at News Corp and the Herald Sun over the years that uh, the only hit list I'm going to be put on is a real hit list where they want to take me out, Finey. But uh, what do you make of the whole exercise? I wouldn't get too upset. I don't know whether you're a fan of The Simpsons, but one of the great early episodes was the softball episode when Monty Burns demanded that Smithers scour various leagues for players. One of them was the the Negro Leagues, showing where Monty Burns' mind was, but I don't think they scoured very far. Um, This is very much mainstream Herald Sun, the age, Fox footy, radio broadcasters and Channel 7. And that obviously leaves us with, in the Herald Sun version, 15 of the top 20 being ex-players, which we're talking about the AFL media here. And I think you'll find not all of them, but that 15, those 15 ex-players speak with pretty much one voice when they bring us football. There's not a lot of, there's not a lot of um, uh, sort of light and shade here, is there? The, there's some reporters, they're up the top end of the 50, um, down the bottom end, of the, down the pointy end of the ex-players in between. There's some uh, smattering of this, that and the other. But I'll tell you what there isn't. There isn't a lot of um, left field thinking. There isn't a lot of alternative voices. There isn't a lot of questioning voices. Now, I think footy media actually is better than that. But as we pride ourselves on being an independent voice, people have to go and find it. Well, I, I actually tweeted something to to that effect, not so much about the independent media, though I think you're spot on. I mean, uh, we, we know our podcast is popular enough. We know people know about footyology, but uh, sometimes people in those major media outlets do fail to get their head uh, out from their ass and actually have a look at uh, the several non-mainstream organisations that are also doing a decent uh, job of it. The, the other thing that really was intriguing, though, is the discrepancy between the Herald Sun list and the Reader's list. Now, I've got a few examples of that. So Mark Robinson, the Herald Sun chief footy writer, was put at number three on that list behind only Gary Wine, who they had number one, and Jared Waitley at number two. Well, in the Reader's version, Mark Robinson came in at number 50. Here's some other big uh, discrepancies. James Brayshaw, the Herald Sun, had number six. Their readers had him at number 48. Gary Lyon, number one on the Herald Sun list, number 49 in the reader poll. Not the most popular man with the uh, audience, it appears, Gaz. Luke Darcy, number 14 in the Herald Sun list, 44 on the readers list. Uh, this one will interest you, Finey. Caroline Wilson. I know Wilson. what it is. Now, surely, are you talking about the number five on the readers list? No, well, no, no. Caroline Wilson is number eight on the Herald Sun list, uh, which is interesting, seeing she's part-time, basically, these days. Number 47 on the reader mm. list. Uh, so what was the one that you were thinking of? Well, it goes the other way. And I think number 35 on the, around 35 on the Herald Sun list Number five on the readers list. Is this Beatty McBoatface? Do you know that story? Yes, I do. But who are you talking about? 
Sarah Jones. Now, oh, yeah. now I'm going to come straight out and say it. Sarah Jones is a very likable presenter of um, the footy that, you know, comes our way Foxtel on a or Fox footy on a weekend. Um, she is, in terms of being serious AFL media, she's not, you know, she's non-league. And that is a fact. I'm sorry. And she's a lovely present, an excellent presenter. Excellent. That's 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 something to be proud of. Not everybody uh, who who's part of the footy coverage needs to be give us give be au fait with the game, or or and she's au fait with it. Don't get me wrong, but you know, listenable in terms of football content. Anyhow, have it as you will. But I'll say this, Rowan, and I'm serious when I say this. Okay. Let's take your case as an example. Now, you're an ex-chief um, uh, football writer for The Age. I don't care how they broached it. Award-winning AFL journalist. Post your time at the newspaper, you have made the huge investment to keep important people still alive, still um readable you've created a website footyology with great football content weekly football content up-to-date football content with wonderful contributors yourself at the top of the list with Roddy Lerner etc um, and also in hand with that had a podcast with myself and a football show after the Friday night game that is successful popular and has a longevity that other podcasts, you know, we were there first in front of most of these podcasts. Now, if that's not important, and I think everybody respects your opinion on football, but that's okay. You know, I mean, you know, if you can get in there just by, um, you know, stirring the pot like Kane Corns does, then I don't think we need to question your, your bona fides when it comes to covering the game. But the, effort that you have gone to to create independent reading and podcast content is important Rowan it's bloody important and it just is a certain it's either a laziness or a bias or a I'll rub your back you tickle my testicles and we'll all get more work out of it for this this group of mainly ex-players and some well looked after media types, that is really, it's, you know, I'll tell you, don't worry about the top 50. It's a, an example of how important it is that people search beyond what they're being spoon-fed the obvious way because basically it's repetitive and mundane. Well, but it's also that's the self indulgence of it. I mean, we're we're not the media aren't the game. It's the players that are the game. We're, we're oh, that's us... a, that's okay. Everything's a top fifty now. I remember <sighs> when they did the top fifty most influential. Yeah, that's okay if it creates discussion. That's valid. But I know. I think but if, the... but if it's a billboard. That's not valid. I think one of the problems with the AFL media is the way the AFL media has made itself the story. And, and Sarah, I appreciate your words about footyology, by the way, but to look, trust me, I mean, the Herald Sun and News Corp are such a 
a cynical sort of clickbait exercise these days. I don't think anyone, even probably poor Scotty Gowan, who got tasked with doing that thing, uh, I don't think anyone would take it that seriously. Just a couple more observations really quickly, because we have spoken too long and it is self-indulgent. But we've talked about what the punters want. Well, I think we agree, two of the best special comments people by a mile are Jason Dunstall and Lee Matthews. They cut to the chase. They don't try and impress their mates with jargon. They demystify tactical stuff for the viewer. Well, the Herald Sun readers, credit where it's due, they had Dunstall at number one and they had Matthews at number two, whereas the Herald Sun list had Dunstall at nine and Lee Matthews at number 24. The other point, finally, I just want to make quickly, um, the best football writing in the view of ourselves and a lot of people over the last couple of years has been done by two guys who have won various awards for it. Conrad Marshall, who's written the Richmond books and a fantastic feature on concussion, which won a Walkley, and Russell Jackson, who won the AFL Feature Writing Award this year for his magnificent piece about Rod Owen and uh, pedophilia in the junior ranks of football. And he's done some other marvellous stories too about Robbie Muir, uh, suitably, uh, deservedly rewarded. I mean, if they are more important to AFL media in terms of performance than half the people on the list, I'll eat my hat. Do you agree with that? <laughs> it's beyond discussion. Rowan, Tim Watson's in the list. He's a great bloke. He's fun to listen to on the radio. He's not involved in covering football anymore, really. No, it's it's a personality profile list, really. Uh, also, uh, hard not to note that uh, several age representatives only bobbed up begrudgingly in the bottom 40-something too, which I think uh, people would take issue with. Anyway, enough of that. Seriously, if we haven't got some bloody football stuff to write about, not media writing, talking about media, and yes, we've just done it too, so the Herald Sun will probably be wrecked about us doing so. Anyway, let's hear no more of it. And uh, let's instead go back to an old favourite segment, which returns this week. Vinyl and video. Pressing rewind on our favourite music, movies and TV. Well, I haven't heard that theme music for a while. Time to revive an old favourite segment here. It is vinyl and video and... uh, a lot of people clamouring for the return of this segment during the week, Finey. I had uh, several messages about this uh, via our Footyology website. Uh, pretty popular last uh, year or last summer when we went through every year and gave our favourite movies, music, TV. We've run out of years. So what I thought we'd do, and I know how we both love our lists, we are going to give the punters our top 20 movies and our top 20 songs of all time. And uh, feel free to weigh in with your thumbs up or thumbs down on each of these in the comments section on the website or wherever you hear this. Fire away. We're uh, we're ready for your displeasure. But uh, an interesting exercise and uh, one I think we've both enjoyed compiling our lists about. So let's kick off with, we're going to count backwards, obviously. Let's start with number 20 this week. And movies, my number 20 movie of all time. Now, we're talking favourites here, so I'm not talking necessarily great examples of either music or filmmaking, 
just that's real that's really important rowan because we've is. just had the sort of top 500 songs being redone by rolling stone oh, that a magazine terrible yeah i mean that was very controversial yeah it's shocking to me but then again it's it's um this is very this is so make it very clear it's a really good point our favorites we're not in any way suggesting these are the pinnacle of the art Good. Yes, well put. And I need to make that very clear with my movie list particularly because about half of them are comedies. And uh, you don't often see comedy films up the top of great movie lists, but these are personal favourites. So let's kick off. My number 20 favourite movie of all time is, uh, well, by my standards, relatively recent. It is an American comedy from 2008 and it is called Role models. Does that ring a bell for you, Fighting? No, it doesn't. Okay. I, know that we, I, know, I know we don't fit that bill. Well, no, certainly not. Uh, it is a great little film. It stars uh, Paul Rudd, who has been in a number of these sort of buddy comedies, and I suppose this is another one. And his co-star is Sean William Scott. Does that name ring a bell? That's uh, Stifler from American Pie. Mm, and yep. uh, Jane Lynch who is absolutely fantastic as a uh, sort of guidance counsellor. And two young child stars, Christopher Mintz-Plass, who you would have seen before, very geeky-looking guy, and in this film playing a geeky role, and Bobby J. Thompson, who plays a uh, little potty-mouthed uh, black kid. Anyway, the um, plot is as follows. Uh, Paul Rudd and... Um, the other bloke, uh, Sean William Scott, uh, a couple of salesmen for an energy drink company, and they have to go around to schools and convince the kids to drink this horrible green-coloured uh, stuff that has you basically urinating green stuff, as we see very early in the film. Anyway, Paul Rudd's pretty disillusioned and down the dumps and sick of it all. Uh, they get into shocking trouble at one of these school visits, end up... Um, trying to bugger off from cops, uh, get arrested, and they get sentenced to a whole lot of community service. The community service uh, consists of being mentors to a couple of uh, wayward teens who are the two kids I described before, one of whom is a potty mouth little uh, would-be uh, street urchin, and the other one is the geekiest kid of all time whose favourite pastime is playing uh, dress-ups, medieval war games recreated in real life. I think it's called Wear, uh, live action uh, reality, something or other. But basically, they all dress up as medieval soldiers and whatever and joust, have pretend jousts, and it's a big scene. Anyway, it, it is just a really funny film. The script is genuinely funny. And, of course, Paul Rudd has a, a falling out with his... Um, fiance and that has to be repaired but basically they both these guys are, are very unwilling participants in the program and the kids are shocking but they all grow to love each other through a succession of hilarious events which take place um, and uh, it's a really really funny movie I, I like it a lot and I've watched it several times certainly not uh Rocket science, brain surgery or rocket surgery, if you want to stitch those two together. But a really good, fun film. And of all those sort of buddy comedies that there seem to be a proliferation of around uh, the late noughties, early 2010s, 
I think um, this is one of my favourites. So thoroughly recommend it. I think you'd like a particularly fine, uh, finding is a fair bit of potty humour and uh, jokes about popular culture, e.g. Um, Sean William Scott's character bonds with his uh, kid, which is the, the little black kid, um, over Kiss um, because of Kiss's fascination with, as the little black kid calls them, boobies. Um, and uh, they all end up getting into the uh, medieval war recreation and having a wow of a time doing that. It's a great movie. I'm probably not doing it justice here, but very funny. Role Models, 2008. All right, Fanny, what have you got for us? Your number 20 favourite film of all time. Okay, this will be a bit of a recurring theme in my top 20 because I'm a huge fan of the Cohen brothers. Oh, and yes. at number 20 is their most critically acclaimed movie because it won the Academy Award for Best Film, No Country for Old Men. And that goes back to 2007. So it's a while now, isn't it? It is. <laughs> Time flies. Well, this is, it's no light entertainment. Even though Coen Brothers movies do have a streak of dark humour in them that I love, but this one is probably pretty humourless. Uh, it is famous for a role played by Javier Bardem, a Spanish actor, normally plays uh, love interests in, in foreign art house movies. He's a big one with Penelope Cruz, often appears with her as her beau, but here he plays... Uh, of... Wait, hang on. Isn't he really her beau in real life? Yeah, that's right. And yeah. they What a lucky they... man. And they get it on on the screen as well, where he plays normally a, a, a sort of a, a gorgeous, gentle character. You know, the Coen brothers can take you out of your comfort zone. And he plays Antoine Chigurh, one of moviedom's most famous, now infamous, loved, feared baddies. He is a basically a walking executioner with no sense of guilt and he carries out his summary executions either paid for people that have crossed him or simply people uh, that have annoyed him somebody maybe uh, is of use if they he wants their car but he sometimes gives you a chance you can toss a coin if you're lucky famous scene in a petrol station famous scene he looks a lot like Freddie Cook in the movie. He has sort of a Bob Black hairdo. So that's a bit of <laughs> any fans of the old VFA. <laughs> just when you watch it, just think Fred Cook going nuts. He doesn't um, get knocked out by Alan Harper, does he? he? I'll tell you what, Alan Harper can be thankful he doesn't go near him. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, to sort of sum him up, there's a, a Woody Harrelson has a cameo role in this and he's an, he's actually paid to try and kill him. But of course he's totally unsuccessful. He's cornered by the guy and he's about to be killed by him. There's no question. And Woody Harrelson's character knows that. And Woody Harrelson says to him, look, Antoine, just before this, you do this, you do know you're insane. And Antoine Chagur goes, what now? Or always. And Woody Harrelson just can't get it out quickly. Enough. Always, always. I mean, always. You know, it's like, don't think that you are sane. Josh Brolin plays um, the sort of hero in it. But the actual title of the movie, No Country for Old Men, mainly refers to 
Tommy Lee Jones, who plays a sheriff, and there's this undercurrent theme in it. It's beautifully uh, from the book. It was a was a pretty successful book, but the theme is that as a as a lawmaker gets older, they lose their they lose their um sort of guts. Really, you know, you've got to be brave, and certainly in I think in America where everybody carries a gun, you do. And as he gets older, he loses that. It's sort of like a jockey a bit, you know. Uh, there comes a time when most jockeys say, I just one day I got up in that saddle and realised how dangerous this whole shit is. And that's what that movie is. Beautiful work by the Coen brothers. Great dialogue. Uh, it's not a pleasant movie, but a great movie. Uh, look, I do remember it, and I do remember I enjoyed it. It was also the first film I saw Bardem in. So I always, you say that name, and I immediately think of that character and the fact that he's with Penelope Cruz, who oh, I think she's the most beautiful woman in the world, but that's by the by. Tommy Lee Jones plays some fairly darkish sort of characters in a lot of movies too, doesn't he? So it's got that... He's got a beautiful craggy face for it, doesn't he? It has a real, that film has a real sort of brooding overtone about yeah. it, doesn't it? Um, so, yeah, look, really well worth seeing and, and suitably acclaimed too. It was, did pretty yeah, well yeah, at yeah. the uh, box office from memory too. So, do, do you like Cohen Brothers' dialogue? I just love the dialogue within the movies. You know, I mean, there's one point where Josh Brolin has to head off. He's chasing money. He's, he wants to, he's found money and he knows it's dangerous. And he tells his fiance, I think wife to be, he says in that big Texan accent, he goes, "If I don't come back, you tell Mama I love her." And his fiance goes, "Now you know your mama's dead." He goes, "Okay, I'll tell her myself." <laughs> <laughs> they, uh, yeah, Cohen brothers. I, 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 yeah, wax and wane on them a bit, but uh, they're certainly quirky. I think it's fair to say. All right, so no country for old men. Mark finds number twenty. Favorite film, Role Models, my favorite, uh, 20th favorite film of all time. We'll bring you number 19 next week. But that's not all because now we're going to rattle off our number 20 songs of all time. I was going to make this albums, but I know you struggle with the album concept, Finey, as indeed do the younger generation of today. So we're going to make it songs. It's a bit easier. All right. My number 20 song of all time. I think a lot of people will know this one. It's an iconic song and from a band that changed the face of music. The band is the Sex Pistols and the song is Anarchy in the UK, which was their debut single in November 1976, later, of course, featured on their uh, only album, Nevermind the Bollocks, a great uh, music-changing album, the start of the punk revolution. And some fantastic songs on that album, God Save the Queen, Pretty Vacant, et cetera, et cetera. But this is my pick of it because it is a big song. You know, for a, a band that, you know, they're not seen as being a big, powerful band, but Anarchy in the UK just has a massive sound and it's really anthemic. And it starts off with uh, Johnny Rotten, of course, snarling and spitting those memorable uh, opening lines. Uh, I am an antichrist. I am an anarchist, to make it rhyme. Um, and it's just a ripping song. I, I reckon ahead of its time, almost, from 1976, and sets a tone for this whole album. 
of course, uh, just massive what happened over there with the punk revolution and Sex Pistols at the vanguard of that and getting thrown off TV shows and the scourge of the UK press and spitting and snarling and dissing the royal family and God save the Queen. Uh, they were big times, but it certainly launched a movement uh, which lives on to this day, the punk rock movement and Sex Pistols, never mind the bollocks, still for mine, one of the great albums and Anarchy in the UK. One of the great songs. You a fan of it, Fighting? Huge fan. I remember in Form 1, we had to do a presentation to the class. It was sort of like a, a talking um, project where you had to stand up and present it. And kids were presenting um, uh, cooking. They brought food from home, I remember, and other kids were showing holiday snaps and talking about foreign countries. And I did the Sex Pistols and played, and played Pretty Vacant and uh, Anarchy in the UK. I did it because my teacher, uh, a great teacher, Margaret Jensen, I said, oh, look, I, I've got this idea. She goes, and she was actually Canadian. She goes, they are fantastic. You bring in the music and play it and tell us all about it. So she was really supportive. But I'm, wow. I'm really glad you picked Anarchy in the UK. I reckon a lot of punk bands after the Sex Pistols, and they are at the Vanguard, um, were doing stuff for the shock value, but they wrote those songs and did it out of origin. That was the original music out of the original thought of of anti-establishment music. It was brilliant. It was, and uh, for those few people that aren't familiar with the song we're talking about, here's a little grab. Get into this and get rebellious. Let's have a listen. Fella, ripping everything up after hearing that finey. All right, uh, I'm tipping, <laughs> tipping there might be a change of pace with your number 20 song of all time. Fill us in, what is it? Well, we're going to go a few different places with my top 20, but I'm going to take you one place with number 20 that I don't reckon you've gone too much, and that is sort of a dance floor at a 5am in the morning. Um, so my number 20 is... Uh, there's a, a group called Disclosure. They're actually just two guys. Electronic music, closer to um, hip. You know, it got some hip hop feel about it, house music, but definitely electronic dance music of a form. And it's a song or a track called "When a Fire Starts to Burn." It's from 2013. Um, I think our producer understands a bit about dance music. Dance music is generally repetitive but with layers. So it brings in, um, you're not going to get a lot from the lyrics. You're not going to get, you'll get a lot from the film clip. It's actually a good film clip for the vid, but it, you'll get something on the layering of increasing the bass and just increasing the dance feel. I reckon it's a great track and uh, okay, it's just accessible. Let me, just let me chip well accessible. This will be a big test of me. Uh, how many little happy pills do you think I might have to pop to be able to... No. Uh, cop this one no and yeah. uh second thing is i've got to say you mentioned this and i do immediately think 
of uh, you uh, on the middle of the dance floor at Revolver on about 5 a.m. of a Sunday morning. Would I be right in suggesting that? Way too, way too early. No, about, oh, way too early, yeah. About, you know, about 8.30 a.m., about 11 a.m. Um, it's funny because there was a track that almost made it, which was Zombie Nation, which was a bit of an anthemic there for a while. But, yeah, so, oh, well, that was that time in the past, Robin. Those were the days, but not any longer. All right. So well, as, as, as a little memoir, here's a little taste of back in the day, but still something I enjoy listening to when a fire starts to burn by disclosure. When a fire starts to burn, right, and it starts to spread, she gonna bring that attitude home. You don't wanna do nothing with your life. When a fire starts to burn, right, and it starts to spread, she gonna bring that attitude home. You don't wanna do nothing with your life. When a fire starts to burn, right, and it starts to spread, she gonna bring that attitude home. You don't wanna do nothing with your life. When a fire starts to burn, right, and it starts to spread, she gonna bring that attitude home. You don't wanna do nothing with they like. When a fire starts to When a fire starts to I didn't mind that as much as I thought I might find him, but I would um, have to be uh, sufficiently uh, lubricated, I think, to yeah. perhaps <laughs> exactly. enjoy or, or maybe on a trip to Ireland. Uh, yes, well, true. <laughs> uh, that, that is, yes, uh, uh, and that may be a reference to the uh, 2000 uh, International Rules Tour of Ireland, where I did end up uh, at about 3 a.m. in a Galway nightclub with my shirt off dancing to <laughs> techno, a sight that will never be repeated. All right, Jack, good fun. That is Vinyl and Video back with a vengeance. And next week, we will have our top 19, uh, our 19th, sorry, favorite movies and favorite songs. But speaking about uh, going back and reminiscing, Let's do that now. Fantastic footy flashbacks. Fantastic footy flashback time and uh, open slather in the off-season. We can choose whatever we like. Uh, I don't know why I thought of this one particularly, but as usual with these things, Fonny, yes, I was there. Yes, I was covering the game. Yes, my team was involved and a particularly happy Memory, of course, uh, you talk about Essendon comebacks and people always think of Essendon North Melbourne 2001. But before that, there was this. It was 1992. It was Essendon taking on Melbourne at the MCG. And after a goal to Melbourne's Chris Sullivan, five minutes into the last quarter and what was proving a dirty day for the Dons, Melbourne led this game by 47 points. Five minutes into the last quarter. The Dons... Uh, pretty much done and dusted, just playing out time, or so it appeared. Uh, this is one of the most amazing comebacks of all time. Um, and uh, we've got a special version of it. Why I say special is because this game wasn't actually one nominated for replay on Channel 7, uh, pre-pay TV days, of course. And uh, the games that weren't replayed by Channel 7 would uh, be covered by just one camera. And uh, sometimes games didn't get any radio stations covering them. This one did, though. But the one station covering this game was K-Rock. 
the uh, Geelong's base station, which covered the Cats, but other games as well. And um, this is a terrific call because the commentators are none other than Mr. Football, the late, great Teddy EJ Witten, Brian Brushfield and Peter Legrand doing the commentary. Uh, such a memorable game that Essendon ended up um, getting the one-camera footage, marrying it up with the K-Rock commentary and making a poultice on selling video copies of this game. Incredible stuff. Uh, let's have a listen to the highlights of this amazing comeback. However, luck's a fortune and it did land in a team player's arms and let's see what happens. And Somerville comes in from 35 metres out directly in front and he puts it through for full points to Essendon. They need that. 11, that's his second goal. 11, 14, 80 points Essendon and Melbourne 19, 7, 121. Gives a handball over to Kilpatrick who steadies down for the Bombers and drives towards centre half forward. No mark. Salmon, it must be his birthday. He runs into an open goal. He fires and he's put it through for full points and that's goal number four to the big fellow into the arms here now of spawn spawn's got plenty of time a left foot kick by that player up to the square and the target the target was wallace and a beautiful mark to wallace of essendon coming in now he stabs at this and he's made no mistake he's put it straight through the center full points to essendon 13 14 92 melbourne 19 7 121 a vital kick for the Bombers as Paul Salmon comes in, shoots into Watts' goal, he puts it through, and the margin's back to 23 points in favour of Melbourne, with Essendon 14, 14, 98 points, Melbourne 19, 7, 121, Harvey now goes to half forward, and the target is Somerville, and Somerville's marked, Somerville's marked for Essendon, 40 metres out, directly in front of goal, Essendon... <laughs> 14-14-98, Melbourne 19-7-100-21. Brian Brushfield, can he kick this? Can he ever chalk this one up? Josh, watch oh. out because Essendon are really coming at them. Now some of them from 40 metres out coming in. He fires at goal, the umpire likes them. Yes! Another one to Essendon. And the Essendon and crowd are alive and well at the MCG. But bringing the ball back into play for Melbourne now from the, uh, for Essendon, from the Ransom, from the uh, scoreboard end. It's been marked down there by Anthony Danaher. A handball goes to Long. He'll outsmart him here with one bounce. And look at him stretch out. Gives a handball to Constantine. He's looking for someone to kick to. It's Big Salmon he's gone for. Salmon's got a hand to it. Knocked away. But he walks into an open goal, Salmon. to Hills, tackled by Road. He's lost it, but it falls in the arms of Long. Long a short Salmon. pass. Salmon! Salmon! Salmon has marked again. He's kicked six. He's marked at 30 metres out directly in front of goal. Salmon comes in, shoots into Ward's goal. Put down goal number seven, Paul Salmon. Six points the difference at the MCG. There's a throw in by the boundary umpire. Considine brings it down with him. Shoots a handball out to Thompson. In turn, he gets it to Long. Long goes for the big one. And here comes Salmon. He missed the mark. A chance for Bryce for Melbourne. He picks it up. Oh, It's a free kick. Great tackle, It's a free kick to Wanganeen. 
48 metres out from goal. 27 minutes have gone in the last quarter here. He's kicked 1-3, Wanganeen. 1-3 to Wanganeen. Brian, can he pop this through? No, He's I don't got think it. so. I don't, yeah. think, I don't think he can kick the distance, so he watched his last two attempts for goal and they just couldn't get the distance. 48 metres out from goal, Salmon's down in the square, so is Somerville, they're all there, Wanganeen comes in, runs close to the man on the mark, it's a beautiful looking kick, it's he's got a through the middle, straight through the centre, and Essendon <laughs> are in front by a point, 27 and a half minutes have gone. And it's a free kick in the centre of the Melbourne. They trail by a point after leading all day. 27 minutes into the last quarter. Michael Pickering kicks long into attack for Melbourne. Up goes Lyon. Knocked away from that player. Shark there, but it comes back to Tingay. Tingay kicks in towards goal. Kick it's there. Can he touch it? He's marked it. A spectacular goal. Scores the level. One point says oh, the no. goal umpire. Oh, He's playing the mark. Got it. Well, the goal umpire touched his chest and signalled the point. And I thought it was a mark. And Ted said it's a point. And the umpire in the centre said, no, we'll pay the mark. Kick it a spectacular mark. It's in open territory close to the boundary line. Kilpatrick goes. He gathers. He handballs to Terry Danaher. Danaher hooks. And the siren! And the Bombers are up by a point. And what a sensational Wow, I mean, uh, obviously, Salmon dominating there and some of the... Just makes you wonder, I mean, even listening to it, I'll have to watch it, that how did they get so far behind? Because they must have just been dominant in that forward line. But the real gem for me there, Rowan, is the commentary. Oh, you, you know, I used to listen to K-Rock or 3GL quite a bit, so Brian Brushfield and EJ. That is, that is an app... Well done, mate. That truly is a... Um, a gem, not not hidden, because as you said, they sold a lot of copies. But that's a beauty. Can I just say the um, uh, yeah? So Salmon four goals in the last quarter gave him seven. Some of them ended up with I think four. Uh, long range goal from Wanganeen putting him in front. Derek Kickett wrapping himself around the goalpost to take an incredible mark, running with the flight and preserve the one point lead. And uh, speaking about the commentary. I think just before Chris Sullivan kicked that goal, which put Melbourne 47 points up, I almost put this in because it just made me gasp. But uh, a Melbourne player uh, gets around uh, both Michael Long and Derek Kickett, and the accompanying commentary goes, uh, whoever the player is, let's say Stephen Tingay, Stephen Tingay gets around the two coloured boys. Oh, my God. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, would be a bit of a kerfuffle were that said today. <laughs> Uh, I think it's fair to say. But, uh, yeah, incredible stuff. And uh, I was lucky enough to be there. And uh, great stuff for the Bombers. Melbourne, how did you let that slip? 47 points up, five minutes into the last quarter. All right, Finey, uh, looking forward to your one because I've got a, a little uh, slightly self-indulgent story to tell after it. But fill us in. What is your footy flashback this week? Well, I didn't think I'd done much of Hawthorne. So I went into the memory banks and, didn't have to go far because, of course, they had that great rivalry with Geelong. I'm not going to say how this one finishes because it's a surprise ending if you don't know it. In fact, I won't even give the year until we talk about it afterwards because there have been so many close games that the listener might not even be sure which one he's listening to, or she, of course, could be listening as well. Now, I'll say one thing. This rivalry, is it finally dead, Rowan? I mean, they are sort of different ends of the ladder now because it just... It's it's 
been the most, in, for me, the most enduring rivalry I've seen in football. And uh, it's Hawthorne Geelong. I won't say the year. We'll talk about it afterwards. But unsurprisingly, it's a nail-biter. So what have the champs got left? They've won the last eight in a row against Hawthorne. Sewell kicks it forward. No mark at the front. Lewis arrives. It was Bruce attempting to bring it in. Bruce keeps going. A goal here would end it, you would think. Puopolo, he's wrapped up from behind and the ball will be bounced yet again. Only 11 metres out from Hawthorne's goal. Now the runners will be out with the exact time to go. So both teams know the equation. What a finish, eh? Hale knocks it down, stolen by Selwood. Duncan is not holding the footy. Rioli looked towards the umpire. Sewell goes to Young. High ball down towards full forward. Back goes Hale, hit the post. I'm not sure it was touched. Hit the post. Clock stops on 59. Geelong drive it towards midfield. Thump back towards the 50. Taken by Duncan. Gave it to Podsy Adley. A little bit rusty, Podsy Adley. Holding the ball. Well, Sewell decided to play on, gives it to Lewis. They scramble it forward, three on one. At the back of the pack, Theo Othello, right across the face. Gee, that was ambitious. Mackey, down to 35 seconds, finds Duncan. They'll run the outer side. Goes short to Johnson. Johnson hasn't got the carry. Arriving quickly, but not in time with Sewell. Selwood looks up, kicks to Hawkins. And Hawkins is marked right on the 50. He's kicked five, down to 17 seconds. If he misses and kicks a behind, if he gets the distance, you would think it's all over. Hawthorne can control the footy. Clock continues to run. The race kicking tonight. Yeah, it I'd will be, be a kick, perhaps right on the siren or after. He can go the distance. Well, he want to freshen up here. This for the game, then. Kick is on the way. Siren's gone. They've done it again. They've done it again, the Cats. Cat is still on the back. Magnificent. Tom Hawkins has kicked the long-range goal. And those celebrations tell it all. Incredible stuff. I mean, you, you do see lists of uh, post-siren match-winning goals, don't you? In fact, Tom Hawkins actually kicked that just before the siren and the ball yes. was actually in mid-air as the siren rang. Still becomes a post-siren goal, though. There hasn't been, I think that and Malcolm Blight have to be the best uh, post-siren match-winning goals, um, mainly because they were so far out. Absolutely stupendous kick from Hawkins. He'd also kicked the goal before that that got them within a kick. Um, I'll tell you, the self-indulgence, Fanny, I was doing the boundary for SEN that night and you had to leave your position you know, a couple of minutes before the siren to go around to the winning rooms. And the MCG, the rooms are side by side. So I knew I was going in the one direction, whoever won. Uh, I was pretty sure I was going to be uh, going to the Hawthorne rooms, but the Geelong race was closest. So I walked up the race uh, to witness the final minute or so of the match. And uh, there was... A huge amount of Geelong people clustered around the, uh, the the top of the race there, trainers and officials and reserves players and whatnot. Um, what about a couple of things? Cyril Rioli nailed Mitch Duncan in a tackle and the holding the ball wasn't paid, probably should have been. But then, even in that last 40 or so seconds, Paul Puopolo 
All he had to do was grab the ball and snap a goal, and he would have kicked it, but he decided to kick the ball in midair. It floated across the goal, gave Geelong possession, and that turnover ended up in Joel Selwood uh, putting the ball on big Tomahawk's chest. Anyway, uh, Tomahawk lines up for goal. I'm standing there with about 20-odd Geelong people. He kicks the goal. Absolute mayhem erupts in the race. Everyone's jumping on each other, and the whole stack uh, sort of collapsed. I ended up on the bottom of a pack (laughs) of Geelong trainers and reserves players and officials. I think Brian Cook was in there somewhere on the bloody ground at the MCG with the Geelong officialdom (laughs) going berserk. It was an amazing win. That was Geelong's ninth win in a row over the Hawks after the 2008 grand final. And you did think after that one, Will Hawthorne ever beat Geelong because that was the one they looked for sure to uh, to be going to win. And um, then, of course, they won a couple more after that. Hawthorne finally breaking the curse after the Cats had won 11 in a row and breaking it in the 2013 preliminary final. So uh, while Geelong had the uh, wood over Haw- the Hawks for a number of years, Hawthorne could always say, well, we beat you in the two most important ones to book in that run, the 08 grand final and the 213 preliminary final. Yeah, spot on. I mean, in terms of the season, 2012, of course, it was round 19. And Geelong had, well, I, I don't reckon it was a shock exit from the final. They got beaten by Fremantle. Yeah. But it it fizz, it sort of fizzled out for them. And then, of course, Hawthorne played in one of your, is, in, is it your favourite grand final? It is my favourite grand final and lost by 10 points to Sydney. And like a lot of those great sides, I actually think the best football that Hawthorne played, the high point of their football, almost came in that 2012 season when they didn't actually end up winning the flag, as good as they Mm. were in the three premiership years which followed. But that is one of the all-time great uh, home and away games, no doubt. Played on a Friday night in front of 65,000 people. Just an aside too, I may not be 100% on this, Finey, but I reckon Channel 7 or someone doctored Dennis Cometti's uh, commentary over the top of that goal subsequent to the game. You know why? Because, why? well, I've watched it again. You would have just heard that clip. And in the clip, as Hawkins kicks it, Cometti says twice, he goes, They've done it again. They've done it again. Well, I swear blind that when it actually happened, because I remember watching it back and thinking, oh, God, poor Dennis. He got mumbled his line, uh, bumbled his lines. I reckon in the original, he actually go, he got stuck between saying they've done it again and they did it again. And he said, they've did it again. And then he says, they've done it again. Now, one day I'm going to ask Dennis, did you say that, Dennis? And has someone very surreptitiously lifted the done from the second line and made it the first line? I don't know. know. It'd be very interesting to know. But uh, anyway, still a great call and a fantastic game. All right. That is footy flashbacks for this week. There's only one way to finish this show, though. And that's when we get all fired up and angry. On Footyology. The rant off. All right, our rants in the off-season can be about anything. It doesn't just have to be about the footy, which is just as well because there ain't a lot of footy going on right now. 
is there a lot of anything going on right now? Well, perhaps that's what I'm going to allude to here, Fanny. Can you count me in, please? Yes, I certainly can. One, two, and let them have it on three, Roko. I'm pissed off with the end of lockdown, Fanny. It's changed everything in Melbourne. But when the shackles were lifted at midnight last Thursday, I realised for me I wasn't about to be greeted by Freedom Day, but Freak Out Day. You know those scenes in prison movies when someone's been put in solitary confinement for an extended spell, and when they're finally released, they can't stand the glare of the sunlight? Well, that's been me this week. It's amazing how you comprehensively forget what were once things you never even thought about. Like traffic. I headed out in the car last Friday, pulled up at a set of lights with a couple of other cars, and immediately started feeling like I was in the rat race all over again, and I had to escape and go and do a sea change or something. I sat behind half a dozen other vehicles doing a right-hand turn and suddenly it felt like I was in the middle of the intersection of Swanson and Flinders Streets at 5pm on a Friday back in pre-pandemic days. I had to wait behind three other people in line for a takeaway coffee the other day and it felt like I was doing an all-night camp out at the MCG for finals tickets. As a face-to-face interaction, well, take me back to the safety of Zoom. I've met a couple of people for coffee this week and it feels like they're shouting in your face and about to sit in your lap. Not to mention the inconvenience of actually having to put on a proper pair of pants when you're catching up with someone in real life rather than sit there in the same tracky decks you've had on for a week, secure in the knowledge that you can never be seen below the waist. I was finally able to get a haircut on Tuesday night. Problem was they didn't recognise me when I walked in. By now, hairier than one of those early specimens in diagrams about the evolution of man. And when they asked my name to confirm my booking, all I could do was grunt. Actually, maybe that hasn't changed that much. I've been going for a daily walk. Now all of a sudden, the paths and parks are bustling with people, feeling like they're fencing me in, even with acres of parkland around me. And so much liker on the bike paths, you could start a textile business. I'm having trouble even getting through one of these rants, Finey, as you may have noticed. How can you get angry enough about anything when you don't bloody do anything? It's just been Groundhog Day over and over for nearly two years now. The same routine, the same people, the same stupid little rituals. It's become a way of life. How can Dan Andrews and co click their fingers and all of a sudden we're supposed to go back to how we were? I mean, sure, News Corp have become even bigger pricks over the past couple of years. Free-to-air TV is still a cesspit and the football's still so self-absorbed we end up with a media outlet actually devoting a list to the football media's top performers. But none of that's any dramatic change, let's be honest. Look, don't get me wrong. I'm really happy for those who've really struggled to make ends meet, for the businesses about to reopen, for those that haven't been able to see friends and family and now finally can. But my family lives just around the corner. I don't have any friends. And a couple of years of isolation have allowed me to hone my grumpy old man shtick to a whole new level. You mean now I've got to abandon all those advantages and actually be vaguely sociable again? I'm too far gone, Fanny. I want the pandemic back. Uh, the, the man emerges from the, you know, from the primordial ooze. I can really picture you sort of coming out of a cave, eyes blinking into the sunlight, turning oh. around and getting hit by a kid on an automatic skateboard. You know, one of those electronic skateboards. 
Yeah, I've been the looking out. World, the, the modern world's not for you, Raker. I've been looking out for them every time I go on one of those lonely walks. All right. <laughs> well, I've got no idea what you're going to rant about, Finey, but I await with bated breath. Three, two, one, rant. Well, I start from the same point that you probably ended, and that is the end of lockdown. Last week, we took step forwards in, steps forward in Melbourne, but by the time that most of our listeners hear this podcast, we will have advanced further into the light that you're so scared of. But I'm looking back, not forwards, back at two years almost of what has been in Melbourne a hard path to tread, that of lockdown. One thing we have done, though, we have all become experts in a field that we knew nothing about two years ago. Just look at the language. Aren't we all experts? I start, of course, with the fact that we're all amateur epidemiologists. <laughs> I could have got a pretty penny two years ago to get anybody to tell me what an epidemiologist was. There is, of course, the disease itself, COVID-19, coronavirus, CoVI. What does the D stand for? About to be a question on hot seat, Eddie asking it. D in COVID, what does it stand for? I think most people know disease, so it's probably the $100 question. But we've learned terms like ISO, self-isolation, ISO wards, quarantine, social distancing, Nothing that we knew of before, probably things we should have practised, like personal hygiene. And we've also become very big on big pharma. I'm not talking about poly. I'm talking about AstraZeneca, Pfizer and Moderna. Everybody's got a favourite. Everybody knows all about them now, apparently. And how about the acronyms? Here's a good one. The QR code. Do you know what QR stands for in QR code, people? Hurry up with your answer. That's a clue. Quick response. PPE, personal protection equipment. That's a new one that we've all become familiar with. Gloves, gowns, eye protection, foot protection, condoms, can't be too safe. Then there's WFH, work from home, WHO, the World Health Organization, WTF, what the, you know what I'm talking about. And of course, New South Wales, being New South Wales, has a term that we don't even have here. I mean, actually, New South Wales, when you think about it, they've got a whole different language. We have bathers, they have cozies or costumes. I need a translator when I go to Sydney. And I certainly don't know or haven't seen any LGAs in Victoria or Melbourne, local government authorities, even though we've got IGAs. Not bad either. There is antis and pros. There's anti-vaxxers or no-vax, like no-vax. By the way, no-vax, no-vax, no-play. You've got to be kidding, mate. There's Andy Andrews, definitely not the hamburger people, just people that don't like Dan Andrews. There's anti-lockdowners. There's anti-Semites, because, of course, this is all the Jewish plot. And there's, of course, anti-social behaviour, normally around the shrine. Then there's the pros, who, by the way, have had a tough time of it. They'll be looking forward to getting back to work. I'm not talking about the pro-vaxxers. I'm talking about the pro-Trumpers. The protesters, the pro bonos, I got you, babe. And of course, finally, there are those people 
who love using words and expressions during these last two years that make them feel smarter about themselves and us dumber about ourselves. I'm talking about politicians, academics, epidemiologists. They've been using them. There's that many that I thought I'd give you the three, two, one vote, sort of the Brownlow. One vote, cohort. It's not an age group anymore. You're in a cohort. Really? Why? Because people don't understand what an age group is? Tricky. Then there's an expression that was very big in the first year. Do you remember what we all were looking for in that first major lockdown in Melbourne? I wonder what will become of flattening the curve. Will we ever use it again? Probably not. But of course, the number one term that's become the buzzword for businesses that have suffered during COVID is pivot. Pivot, pivot. We're all Pivotonians. Not that we played for or Barry Fitch along in the 1910s, but pivots become big. So from this double-dosed, pro-vaxxing, anti-Novak, low to medium risk, member of the 50 to 65-year-old cohort, it's good to be back in the sunlight and all the smarter for the two years spent in lockdown. <laughs> uh, very good finding. That's one of your best. I, I really enjoyed that. You do love a good acronym and you love a good wordplay and that combined uh, both qualities. I must say the LGA thing, I, I was reading that for a couple of weeks and I sort of couldn't be bothered working out. Then I thought, what actually is that? And it's, oh, local government. It's authority, isn't it? Yeah. Yep. I did think, they, geez, they've got a lot of supermarkets and a lot of suburbs there. <laughs> That's right. Um, but, uh, yeah, you're right. Uh, instant uh, experts on whatever topic is uh, at the front of public discourse. No, very well played. So there's two pandemic-flavoured rants for you. Uh, would you expect anything else in this day and age? All right, that is the end of the show for this week. Uh, I'll tell you what is blissfully unaffected now by pandemic uh, problems, Finey. That is the finest fast food establishment in the universe. Could you give them a quick plug, please? Well, I mentioned Andy Andrews in the in the rant, didn't I? But I made it very clear it could not be Andrews hamburgers. In fact, they are loved and now everybody can love them all over again. The beautiful burger, 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. We're all pro Andrews. And I tell you what, they're pros when it comes to making a burger. Beautiful stuff. Uh, looking forward to having another one very soon. In fact, my daughter, Andrea, has been working in a local library just down the road and uh, has been nipping in there for a burger, but refuses to uh, reveal her connection with the show and perhaps get a gratis one. So I don't know what the story is. She just, she's just got way too much integrity for her own. <laughs> I, thought, I thought you were going to say way too much money. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think so, but probably still more than me. Uh, all right. Thanks for listening, everyone. And uh, as we said at the top of the show, too, we have had some major technical issues with Apple Podcasts over the last couple of weeks. And uh, we're fingers crossed that everything is back to normal. But um, you might just need to click the subscribe button a second time if you had already subscribed to us through Apple Podcasts. So keep your eye on that. Uh, you can support us, of course, at the uh, ACAR support page wherever you listen to this podcast. Or you can jump on the Footyology website and become an official Footyology patron through Patreon, a very good service for independent media. And, uh, of course, that 
a Herald Sun AFL Top 50 Media, notably right on for independent media. So let's stick it right up them, as Teddy used to say, and promote independent media because we'll give you quality, not clickbait. Uh, thanks for your time, everyone. Have a great rest of the week and weekend, and uh, we'll catch you about the middle of next week.